Good morning. Uh, I'd ask you to bear with me. I don't know if my voice is going to hold out or not. Hopefully it will. <clears throat> Mitchell told me, though, uh, he would take my place if it doesn't. Um, but hopefully we'll be able to make it. If you look up here on the board, uh, this is supposed to be a planner of the year 2022. Can you believe the year 2022 is over halfway over? It's almost incredible. And then we've got a clock here because all of our lives are dedicated by, or, or well, not dedicated, but all our lives are surrounding plans and time. Uh, have you ever heard of the concept of work-life balance? It's really the idea of keeping your priorities in check. So in the, in the HR field that I work in, it's talked about a lot. You've got to have a proper work-life balance. If you're dedicating too much time to work, then you don't have time for, for life. And if you dedicate too much time to extracurricular activities, then that puts your work in jeopardy. It's got to be a proper balance. Uh, and so that's what we want to talk about this morning. We want to talk about prioritization. Uh, but we want to talk about spiritual matters, not necessarily just work-life balance. I want us to consider church-life balance. Maybe that's not the best terminology to use, but hopefully you understand what point I'm trying to make. We need to spend time focusing on practicing spiritual things in our lives. We've got a lot of other things to do. We've got, we've got to work. We've got to sleep. We've got to eat. We've got to do a lot of other things, but we need to be talking and focusing and thinking about uh, spiritual things and really using our time wisely. So that's what we want to talk about this morning. Again, try to bear with me. Hopefully we can, we can get through this lesson. But let's talk about church life balance. You know, in the, in the first place, being a Christian is demanding. Christianity is demanding. Uh, I want to read Luke chapter 9, beginning of verse 57. It's kind of a, a lengthy passage, but it's pretty interesting. Uh, so it says, A certain man said unto him, said to Jesus, Lord, I will follow thee whithersoever thou goest. And Jesus said unto him, Foxes have holes, and the birds of the air have nests. But the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. And he said unto another, Follow me. But he said, Lord, suffer me first to go and bury my father. Jesus said unto him, Let the dead bury their dead, but go thou and preach the kingdom of God. And another also said, Lord, I will follow thee, but let me first go and bid them farewell, which are at home at my house. And Jesus said unto him, No man having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. All right, this is an interesting passage. So these people are interested in following Jesus. He said, uh, Lord, I will follow thee whithersoever thou goest. Okay, that's good. Jesus said to him, uh, if you want to do that, right here, foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. And in that little section, Jesus uh, told him, hey, if you want to follow me, your life's going to be a little bit different. All the pleasures that you've had in life may not be there before. Even these animals have places where they can lay down and rest, but you may not have that if you're following me. I don't have that. Jesus essentially uh, was homeless. He was a poor man. Uh, he didn't have all the pleasures of life. You know, if, if it was our thinking, we would think Jesus would have the best of everything, but that wasn't the case. So, okay, you want to follow me, that's good, uh, but everything may not be great in life. You need to know that uh, right out of the gate. This first fellow said to him, well, before I really get into following you, suffer me first to go and bury my father. What's wrong with that? Nothing's wrong with that, I wouldn't think. Uh, this other fellow said, uh, Lord, I'll follow you. But let me first go bid them farewell, which are at home at my house. What could be wrong with that? Saying goodbye to your family before you leave? That just seems natural and normal. It seems like actually a proper thing to do. And it seems like Jesus is being a little harsh here. 
But really, I'd submit to you that Jesus knows the hearts of men and He understands the problems that we have with prioritization. I'll follow you, but but there's a bunch of other things I need to go and, and take care of. He knows that some will want to follow Him because eternal life sort of sounds good. You know, to the alternative, I don't want to go to hell, so I'd, I'd like to go to heaven. So I'll follow you. Uh, but He also knows that there's other things in life that will pull on us. I don't think that... I don't think here in this phrase that uh, this fellow's uh, father had passed away and he wanted to go to the funeral. I think he was saying, you know, my father's getting old. There's some stuff at home I could take care of. I can really wrap things up there. And when I get done with all that, then I'll go and follow you. And down here, I don't think this fellow's uh, thought was, just let me go tell them bye real quick and then I'll take out on the road with you. I think his attitude was, well, I really can't leave my family at home. Let me go and spend... And Jesus knew their hearts. He knew that things were pulling them. He knew that they had uh, their priorities out of whack. They weren't willing to put him number one. Uh, and so Jesus called them out on that. Uh, being a Christian is demanding. If you want to follow Christ, that's a demanding thing. It's not just uh, something that you do casually. Uh, and so you can say, I'll follow you wherever you go. But you may not have the comforts of life and you may have to reprioritize things that are most important to you. Relationships will change when you follow Christ. You may have family or friends, uh, but when you decide to follow Christ, they come secondary on that list. And that's what Jesus had to tell that fellow. Down here at the end, Jesus said, No man having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. Nobody that does that is fit for the kingdom of God. You can't start that journey and then look back. Sort of reminds me of Lot's wife. She had escaped Sodom. But then she looked back, sort of longing to go back there to that place. Uh, she missed her previous life. She missed the way things were. And that attitude won't work for a Christian. It didn't work out for her. And it won't work out for us. We will not be fit for the kingdom of God if we put our hand to the plow and then look back. Uh, and so being a follower of Jesus is a commitment. Uh, and it's demanding. In Matthew 16 and verse 24 where the reading came from, Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone desires to come after me, okay, so that's a good desire. You desire to come after Christ. That's a really good thing. If you do that, Jesus said you need to deny yourself and take up your cross and follow him. He told his disciples that. The same is true for us today. We have to deny ourselves. Now, denying yourself and self-denial are two different things. They sound the same. If you've got friends that are, that are Catholic friends... Every spring they celebrate Lent and they practice self-denial. So there may be something that they want to eat or something they want to do and they say, I'm, I'm going to give that up for a short period of time. They practice self-denial. That's not what Jesus is talking about here. He's talking about prioritization. When he said deny yourself, he meant everything else, what you want to do has to come second or on down the line. I've got to be number one. You've got to deny yourself, put me in first place and everything else in second. That's what you've got to do if you want to follow Jesus. That's a pretty demanding task because we've got things we want to do. We've got wants and wishes, but God demands our commitment. Pretty serious. In Second Peter 1 and verse 10, we didn't get the whole passage in there, but Peter was talking about adding all of these things and, and making sure that you're strong and growing. And he says, Wherefore the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you shall never fall. And so I just want to bring your attention to this phrase, give diligence it takes a lot of effort. You're not going to just accidentally fall into following Jesus. Uh, and you're not going to just accidentally deny yourself and prioritize and put Him first. That's really got to be a commitment, a choice. Uh, really got to do some thinking about it, that in our lives because being a Christian is demanding. 
it may sound good. We may be like those people that said, I'll follow you. Wherever you go, I'll follow you. No big deal. But we got to know up front that being a Christian is demanding. So when we're talking about church life balance, really just being a Christian, uh, being a Christian is demanding. It's got to come number one in everything that we want to do. Secondly, uh, this affects every aspect of our life. Several Wednesday nights ago, Dan did an invitation about all the activities that we have going on in life. So shout out to Dan. Uh, he, he really gave me the idea to think about this lesson. Uh, and one of the most eye-opening tasks I've ever done, they had us do this in college. We tracked for two weeks how we spent our time. So we, I tracked how much time I slept, how much time I ate, how much time I spent in school or whatever. If you do that today and you just come up with a number of hours, there's only a certain number of hours in a week. I think it's 160. I may be, may be wrong. But we have to spend some time sleeping. And we got to eat, so there's got to be time eating. Uh, we got to spend time at work. If you drive to and from work, there's a time that you that you do that. That takes away from your time that you have. We spend what four hours a week here at the church building. If we're here every time the doors are open, uh, then we've got a little bucket of time, whatever that is that is remaining. What do we do with all of our time? That's a pretty valuable exercise. But being a Christian affects every aspect of our life. We're not just a Christian four hours a week when we're here at the building. Uh, we're a Christian 24-7. There's no days off. You don't get a vacation from that. And so it affects every aspect of our life. Uh, for the world, they do different things and things are put in buckets. But being a Christian is all-encompassing, isn't it? In Colossians 3, beginning at verse 23, uh, Paul said, Whatsoever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men, knowing that of the Lord you shall receive the reward of the inheritance, for you serve the Lord Christ. All right, so when we're at work... We're working for the company, uh, but really, you're working for the Lord. That's what, that's what Paul says here. Whatever you're doing, you need to do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men. So when you're at work, you're working for your boss, but you're also working for God. And so you need to work. It should show in how that you work, that you're working for the Lord. Because who's going to give you the inheritance? Well, you're serving the Lord Christ, and He's going to give you the inheritance if you serve Him. So when you're a Christian, uh, you're a Christian 24-7. Whether you're at work, you're a Christian. Whether you're uh, anywhere. Uh, Matthew 5 and verse 16. We know that verse so Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount said, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. I'm interested in that phrase. Let your light so shine before men. And I would just submit to you, whether I'm at the grocery store or on the ball field or stuck in traffic, it should be apparent to some degree that I'm different from the world. We should let our light shine however much we can wherever we're at in life. And that's a 24-7 type thing. Uh, and so even though we're doing different things, our spiritual lives ought to be carried over into all of it. Uh, in the Old Testament, in Amos chapter 6, these are pretty interesting verses. Let's spend some time looking at these. It says, Woe to those who are at ease in Zion and to those who feel secure in the mountain of Samaria. So let's stop right there. Uh, at this time, the people of Israel were doing pretty good. But look at verse 1 there. Woe to those who are at ease in Zion. Isn't that the number one goal in life, to be at ease? We want to work and we want to have nice things. We just want to be at ease. And everything will be great. And that's what situation Israel was in. They were doing pretty good. Uh, but God says, Woe to those who are at ease in Zion. You should be on the lookout if you're at ease. And he's going to go on to describe some of those things. He says down here in verse 4, Those who recline on beds of ivory and sprawl on their couches 
and eat lambs from the flock and calves from the midst of the stall, who improvise to the sound of the harp, and like David have composed songs for themselves, who drink wine from sacrificial bowls while they anoint themselves with the finest oils. So let's stop right there and look at these verses. So they recline on beds of ivory. You got nice things. Uh, we sit around on nice furniture. We get to sprawl on their couches like the New American Standard Version there. They sprawl on their couches. We have nice things here in America. We have good food. We enjoy nice things. But again, God is, remember, God appears saying woe to them all throughout this passage. He's describing what they have and he's saying you need to be on guard. Uh, blessings come from God. No doubt about that. Israel had been blessed by God. But we have to keep things in proper perspective. Uh, they had a lot of nice things. They had, uh, they were able to, let me erase some things here. They were able to eat lambs from the flock and calves from this to the stall. We're able to stroll into the kitchen to the refrigerator and grab nice things to eat out of there. We, we got plenty of food. Uh, down here, they have uh, drank wine from sac- sacrificial bowls. They anoint themselves with the finest of oils. We've got the nicest things that you could want. But notice verse 6 down here. It says, yet they have not grieved over the ruin of Joseph. They hadn't thought about God and, and spiritual things. Physically, things were good, but their lives were in spiritual ruin. And so that's why he's saying woe to them. And hopefully that's not the case for us. If it is, and we've got a lot of nice things, we need to take heed to this, this woe. Our situation is different, but we need to be on the lookout. Woe to those that have nice things and just sort of kick back and relax. If we're not thinking about spiritual things, and that's what this reference is, the ruin of Joseph. And so he says, therefore, they will now go into exile at the head of exiles, and the sprawler's banqueting will pass away. He said, oh, that stuff's going to come to an end. Uh, it's not going to work out well for you if you only focus on the physical and never give consideration or the proper consideration to the spiritual. In Matthew 13, this is the parable of the sower. I just want to bring your attention to one of the things that that Jesus said, verse 19, he said, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, then the wicked one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is he who receives seed by the wayside, but he who received the seed on stony places, this is he who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet he has no root in himself, but endures only for a while. When tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he stumbles. Now he who receives seed among the thorns is he who hears the word and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and he becomes unfruitful. In the parable of the sower, Jesus said one of the things that chokes the word is the deceitfulness of riches or wealth. The seemingly good things in life, uh, we think that riches are a blessing and they're always a good thing. And we are really blessed. They are a blessing. And we think they're always good, never can be bad. Yet Jesus said that Riches can be a curse rather than a blessing if we allow them to. Uh, And so the riches of the world draw me to be like everyone else. Everyone else is using the riches of this world in wrong ways. Uh, And if I allow those riches to choke out the word, I don't have time for God and his word because of the deceitfulness of riches. I think I got it made. What I need God's word for. Well, then I'm going to become unfruitful. That's what Jesus said there. And I think that's a danger for us today. The riches of the world draw me to be like everyone else. And if we don't have proper priority of spiritual focus, our blessings can cause ruin for us. Uh, and so 
it, this ought to affect every aspect of our life, even the things that we have that we think that are blessings. If we don't keep them in proper perspective, if we don't have the proper church life balance, uh, then things are going to be bad spiritually for us. The third point I want to make is, are we focused on God's house? Are you focused on God's house? Uh, we spend a lot of time focusing on our own houses, don't we? We've always got projects going around uh, around the house. We just moved, and Chris and I have walked around the backyard. And we can do this here. We can do that there. Inside the house, we can change this up a little bit. We've always got things going on around the house. But the question I want to ask is, are we focused on God's house at all? In Haggai chapter 1, uh, beginning at verse 3, it says, Then the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet, saying, Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses and this temple to lie in ruins? Now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, Consider your ways. You have sown much and bring in little. You eat, but do not have enough. You drink, but you are not filled with drink. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages, earns wages to put into a bag with holes. Thus says the Lord of hosts, Consider your ways. Why? Says the Lord of hosts, Because my house that is in ruins, while every one of you runs to his own house. Uh, so they were dwelling in paneled houses. They were taking care of themselves. Their houses were in good shape. They were spending a lot of time focusing on that. But the temple was lying in ruins. And so all these things that's talked about here in, in the middle section uh, are things that they're doing. They're working and they're, they're uh, eating and, and they're drinking and they're clothing themselves. They're living life and they're, they're having the best of what they can get for themselves. But God down here says, you need to consider your ways. And he asked the question, why? Because of my house that is in ruins, while every one of you runs to his own house. They were spending all their time focusing on their houses, and they had never considered God's house. Uh, the temple was lying in ruins. And so the question I'll ask for you is, are you working on God's house? Now, obviously, here in the Old Testament, the temple was a physical building. We're not talking about that today. God's house is not a physical building. This church building is not God's house. Uh, now, it does provide us a good and comfortable place to worship. But God's house is not this building. God's kingdom is not physical, but it needs work. It has to be built up. And if we never focus on it, it's going to fall apart. In First Peter chapter 2, verse 5, it says, Ye also, as lively stones, are built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. So he was talking to individuals, and he said they were lively stones, and they're built up as a spiritual house. So we are all pieces of the puzzle. We're all uh, stones that go to this spiritual house. And if we never work on ourselves, then we're going to be harming, not building up the house of God. And so we can and should work on ourselves individually to improve our character. You know, as we do that, as you work on yourself and as you get stronger, you're building up the church here at College View because you're stronger. Your part of the puzzle is stronger and mine will be stronger. And as we're all working together the church gets stronger. We're building up the spiritual house. In 1 Timothy 3 and verse 15, Paul wrote to Timothy and he said, But if I tarry long that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, and notice the pillar and ground of the truth. So the church building uh, isn't the house of God today. It, it's, it's the church, is us. Uh, but we got to be working to keep the church strong. It must be the pillar and ground of the truth. And so we have to be workers. Uh, God's house needs work. 
Now, I want to say it's not wrong to have a clean house. You know, it's not wrong to have projects going on at home. Uh, God didn't tell the people that we read back there in Haggai, He didn't tell them to let their physical houses lie in ruin. Uh, but He was concerned about their main focus. And our main focus should be on uh, God's house. And so church life balance means that God's house should come first, then my house second. And I think sometimes we maybe trick ourselves into thinking we're doing better at this than we actually are. You may say, well, you know, I put the church first. A good test is maybe to ask your kids what you talk about more at home. Because they'll tell you. You know, they pay attention. So if I ask my kids, what do I talk about more at home? My work, uh, what we got going on at our house, or church. They'll be able to tell you really quick. And I'm afraid in my case, a lot of times it'll be things other than church. It'll be things other than God's house. Uh, and so I'm not saying that we should never talk about our individual homes. What I am saying is our priorities may be out of whack. Our church life balance may be off kilter if we're focused more on physical than spiritual things. You know, lastly, I think we should just say that we don't need to get too busy for spiritual things. Don't get too busy for spiritual things. And I know, listen, I know right out of the gate here that that is easier said than done. We live busy lives. Uh, We've got a lot of things going on. But we can't allow ourselves to get too busy for spiritual things or then our church life balance is going to be out of whack and we're not going to be effective. In Luke chapter 10 and verse 38, you remember this story. This is where uh, Jesus came to visit Mary and Martha. It says, Now it came to pass as they went, He entered into a certain village. A certain woman named Martha received Him into her house and she, called, and she had a sister called Mary which also sat at Jesus' feet and heard His word. But Martha was cumbered about much serving and came to him and said, Lord, dost thou not care that my sister hath left me to serve alone? Bid her therefore that she help me. And Jesus answered and said unto her, Martha, Martha, thou art careful and troubled about many things, but one thing is needful, and Mary hath chosen that good part which shall not be taken away from her. All right, can you sympathize with Martha here? Martha was cumbered about much serving and came to him and said, Lord, dost thou not care that my sister hath left me to serve alone? Martha was busy taking care of things in the house. And I can sympathize with her. There was things that needed to be done around the house. Martha wasn't doing anything wrong by doing housework at all. Uh, But Mary had chosen a better part or a good part. She was listening to Jesus. There was always going to be household chores going on, but Jesus was only going to be there for a short period of time. So in that moment, the best thing to have done was to neglect the household chores and listen to Jesus. And so... You can sympathize with Martha, but you understand why Mary did what she did. And Jesus uh, gave uh, really admonition to Martha and said Mary was doing right here. But we miss opportunities sometimes uh, to put God first because we're so consumed, I think, with day-to-day life. Uh, And that's a problem. But we need to be like Mary and choose the better part. And I would just say, you know, God would never be mad uh, that the house is a little messy if spiritual things are put first. God would rather us have spiritual things in order and the house be a mess than the other way around. And I think sometimes we focus on all the physical things and we don't take time for spiritual things. That means our church life balance is, is out of whack. And we need to work on that. In John chapter 4, remember in John chapter 4, there was this whole uh, scenario and whole discourse that happened with this woman at the well. But I wanted to reference verse 8 because if you remember, Jesus' disciples were gone away into the city to buy meat. And that's when this whole discourse happened. And so if you skip down to verse 31, uh, it says, 
In the meanwhile, his disciples prayed him, saying, Master, eat. So they had gotten back. They brought the food back. And they said, Here, you need to eat, Jesus. And he said unto them, I have meat to eat that ye know not of. I want to stop right there for a minute. So Jesus had this whole discourse with the woman at the well. And we know that, that story really well. His disciples were off buying food. We've got to eat. I mean, Jesus needed to eat too. And he knew that he needed to eat. But think about the disciples when they got back and Jesus said, you know, I have meat to eat that you don't know about. Can you imagine their position? So they started saying, uh, therefore said the disciples one to another, hath any man brought him to eat? So they thought, Somebody bring him food while we were gone. We went to the city to buy food and now he's talking about he's already got food. You know, what's going on here? And then Jesus explained to him, my meat is to do the will of him that sent me and finish his work. And he said, Say not ye there yet four months, and then cometh harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are white already to harvest. Jesus was uh, telling them here that, yeah, he needed to eat food, and it wasn't wrong for them to go buy food, but he had an opportunity to talk to the woman here at the well and talk about spiritual things. And he told them, there's a harvest right now. And he told them, you need to look up and look on the fields. They are white already to harvest. He said, I don't need to eat right now because my number one priority right now is spiritual things. Uh, and so sometimes we get focused on the physical uh, and don't focus on the spiritual. They were just on two different pages. They were thinking physically. Jesus was talking spiritually. But his priority was spiritual things. And, so, you know, I don't really want us to leave here and, and all think that we're failures. Uh, but I think we've all got work to do in this area. I don't want everybody to feel like uh, I've been concerned about making sure the kids have food to eat and the house is clean, so maybe I've done wrong. That's not the case. It's a good thing to do those things. I'm just saying we can always focus more on spiritual things. And I think, I think that can be said of all of us. Uh, so when you have time and you're thinking about spending your time doing all the tasks of life, we should try to find opportunities where we can focus more on spiritual things and don't get in the habit of thinking, I can't do everything, so I don't do anything. And I think that may be the temptation that we have a lot in life. In Joshua 24, in verse 15, I know that we know this, this passage well. Uh, Joshua said, If it seem evil to you, uh, unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you will serve. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. You know, it's interesting. Joshua stood up and all of Israel could have decided to do something different. But Joshua said, you know what? i tell you what I'm going to do. Me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. You've got to put spiritual things first. You've got to determine to do that. Uh, and Joshua chose to put God first ahead of everything. And, and we've got to do the same thing today. You know, I want to tell you, we've got to plan spiritual things in our life. The kids are going to ask to go outside and play. They're going to ask to do those kind of things. That'll be easy. They'll come to you and they'll want to go and play and do those kind of things. We've got to plan to talk to them about spiritual things. It's not just going to happen unless we plan it because we'll get caught up. They'll be playing. We'll be working. All of a sudden, it's time to eat dinner. The day's almost gone. We've got to take baths because they're messy from outside playing. And now we've got no time left for spiritual things. So you've got to plan. You've got to plan around your work schedule. Work is not going to call you and say, hey, take the day off so you can go and have Bible studies with some people in church or some people in your neighborhood. They're not going to do that. So we've got to plan to do that. Uh, we've got to plan to do spiritual things, and we've got to be ready to choose. Everybody else may be doing something different, but as for me and my house, this is what we're going to do. We're going to serve the Lord. And that's, that's difficult, but that's the task that's been put before us. 
every second of our life could be filled up doing something. And we need to reclaim some of that time. In Ephesians 5 and verse 16, Paul said, I like the New American Standard Version here. It says, making the most of your time because the days are evil. What he means by that is time's going to get away from us. They're evil. The days are fleeting uh, and time is going. And when it's gone, we can't get it back. Uh, And so we need to make the most of our time. I think, speaking for myself, I waste too much time. I'm not making most of my time. And so often when we waste time, obviously it's not on spiritual things. We waste time on physical things and spiritual things are neglected. So make the most of your time. And so I would just ask you, have you made the most of your time? I think all of us could say, I can do better than that. I don't think anybody can say, or if you do, I'd really like to talk to you, uh, that you have made the most of your time and you've been using your time very efficiently, especially for spiritual things. All right, so church life balance. And again, I appreciate Dan for doing that invitation a couple Wednesday nights ago. Really, our whole lives, our whole lives uh, are affected by being a Christian. It's demanding. Uh, It's not for the faint of heart. It affects every aspect of our life. I think this one's key. Are you focused on God's house? Or are we only focused on us and what we've got going on? We're busy, but don't get get too busy for spiritual things. All right, I appreciate your your good attention. uh, My voice halfway made it through, so I appreciate you bearing with me this morning. You know, as we bring the lesson to a close, talking about uh, church life balance, really we've been talking about just living the Christian life. Again, I'm not sure that's the best title for it, but hopefully you understood uh, where I'm coming from. But if you've never become a Christian, those things really don't even pertain to you yet. And really, maybe you listened to that lesson and thought, that doesn't even sound fun. That sounds difficult. Well, it is. It is difficult. But I want to tell you, it's worth it. It's worth it all because the prize that we've got waiting for us, if you live the Christian life, if you deal with all those things and you prioritize and put God first, what He's promised to us is that we can go to heaven with Him. So after this life is over, we can look forward to spending eternity with God in heaven. And there's nothing, there's nothing greater than that. That's, that's as good as it gets. And that's what we want. And so if you haven't become a Christian, it's going to be tough. It's going to be a struggle, but you need to do that. And so you do that by hearing the Word of God, believing it, repenting of your sins, confessing your faith in Christ, and then being baptized for the remission of your sins. And you know, we'd just be eager to, to help you in that this morning if that's your desire. Maybe you've started living a Christian life and maybe, maybe you're sort of like me and you, you look at those points and think, I can do better. I haven't been doing as good. And maybe you've just totally got off the rails and you need to rededicate your life to God. We can help you do that this morning as well. If you're willing to repent of your sins, if you've fallen away and you're willing to uh, rededicate your life, we'd be glad to pray for you and with you this morning. If you have a need, come forward while we stand and sing this invitation song.